Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Intel broke ground for their Ohio facility last week, and now the rest of the story. Will there be enough highly skilled and trained workers to fill the thousands of jobs the project will create? And where will they come from? Also this morning, autumn officially arrives next week, which means fall allergy season is upon us. We have tips and advice to help take charge of your symptoms. With this week's games, the first half of the high school football season will be complete. We'll preview all of the action for week five around the area and another collection of easy and delicious recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, September 16th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate, as if the fact that it's Friday is not enough, it is also Mayflower Day. I would assume celebrating the pilgrims leaving on the Mayflower, not celebrating the moving company, but I don't know that. I'm just making the assumption. Mayflower Day. It is also Mexican Independence Day. So happy Independence Day uh, to our southern neighbors. National Cinnamon Raisin Bread Day. National Collect Rocks Day. (laughs) Now that's exciting. Um, I don't mean to disparage all of the rock collectors out there, but uh, National Collect Rocks Day just doesn't sound like the most exciting celebration. Certainly not as big as National Cinnamon Raisin Bread Day. It's National Guacamole Day, World Play-Doh Day. Now, there's something that we can all get by. Who has not uh, enjoyed playing with Play-Doh at some point in their lives? World Play-Doh Day, National Stay Away from Seattle Day. What's wrong with Seattle? It's a lovely city. Stay away. Maybe it's the people in Seattle who are saying, stay away from Seattle. (laughs) We don't want anyone you and you tourists. <laughs> uh, and National Tattoo Story Day, because every tattoo has a story. So there you go. Reasons to uh, celebrate today. Uh, by the way, uh, mention we mentioned National Play-Doh Day. We have been waiting for this, and it is finally here. Voting is open for the National Toy Hall of Fame. We talk about this every year. About this time when the nominees are announced for the Toy Hall of Fame. Um, Now, time is running short. You only have until September the 21st to cast your vote for your favorite of the finalists for the Toy Hall of Fame. And this year, the finalists are Lightbright, Nerf Toys. I think that's interesting. There are all kinds of Nerf Toys. Um, and I guess they're just collectively nominated for the Toy Hall of Fame. Light Bright Nerf Toys, Masters of the Universe, Bingo, this is the generic bingo game, Briar Horses. I have to f- admit that I'm not familiar with Briar Horses. Uh, also, Catan is, and I, that I'm not familiar with. Maybe I'm... Maybe I'm just out of the loop. I don't know. Catan, C-A-T-A-N, Catan. Is that a game? Is that a toy? What is that? Uh, That I'm not familiar with. Uh, Phase 10, the card game, Phase 10, uh, the piñata. The piñata 
is a nominee for the Toy Hall of Fame. Pound Puppies, Racco, The Spirograph. Now there's a blast from the past. The Spirograph and the generic top, the spinning top. So those are the nominees. Bingo, Briar Horses, Catan, Light Bright, Nerf Toys, Masters of the Universe, The Pinata, Phase 10, Pound Puppies, Racco, Spirograph, and The Top. 77 toys have been inducted thus far into the National Toy Hall of Fame since its opening in 1998. The 2022 inductees will be announced on November the 10th, and you have until the 21st, which is the middle of next week, to cast your vote. You can just Google the National Toy Hall of Fame and uh, vote for your favorite. I I have to say, uh, the Light Bright has got to be a shoe in. Nerf has got to be a shoe in. That's probably at the top of the list for me. Uh, Nerf has got to be in there. Light Bright and Spirograph, probably the the top three for me. But we'll see what uh, what the public has to say. Uh, you know, the other thing that we uh, always look forward to this time of year is the uh, new survey on emoji trends, uh, America's favorite emojis, the 2022 U.S. U.S. Emoji Trend Report is out, revealing the most and least liked emojis in the United States. And uh, here are Americans' favorite emojis, the crying with laughter face, the thumbs up. I use that all the time, the thumbs up. That's my probably most used emoji, that I, the thumbs up and the red heart. So those are the three that are our favorites, the most used, uh, the crying with laughter face, the thumbs up, and the red heart. If you are in a flirty mood, try the faces with hearts, the kissy face, the heart eyes, or the face surrounded by hearts. Those are the favorite uh, favorites among flirters. And conversely, they also look at the least liked emojis, the ones that will lose you points with the person that you are communicating with, uh, the angry face, eggplant, the eggplant emoji, <laughs> which is an emoji euphemism for, well, you know, and uh, the poop uh, emoji, which I seem to recall a story that that's not what that emoji was initially supposed to be. The big pile of poop with the eyes. That's it was something else entirely. I don't know what, but people uh, started using it as a poop emoji, and that's what it has become. But anyway, uh, and by the way, along those same lines, the most misunderstood emojis, the ones if you send these, your recipient may get the wrong impression with the smiling cowboy, the cherries and the upside-down smiley, the most misunderstood emojis of 2022. The latest emoji trends report. Big, big news here this morning. Very important stuff to talk about. By the way, speaking of big news, this, uh, we always have to, have to have something to worry about, and the latest thing to worry about here is apparently cranberries will be in short supply this Thanksgiving. What would Thanksgiving be without cranberry sauce? 
But droughts in Massachusetts, which is the biggest cranberry-growing state, droughts in Massachusetts are impacting cranberry production this year um, because cranberries grow in flood fields and are very, very delicate. Too much rain, you get fungus. Not enough rain means that they don't grow. And uh, Brian Wick of the Cape Cod Cranberry Growers Association says we have to wait and see uh, what we get for rainfall over the next few weeks. It is a critical time. Rainfall over the next month could prop up the cranberry crop just in time for the holidays. But if they don't get timely rains, cranberries could be in short supply this Thanksgiving. That is the latest that we have to worry about here. Uh, let's see what else is uh, going on here in the world. This is uh, rather interesting. Talk about the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Scientific research now suggests that uh, having intimate relations with your partner three to four times per week can help pass kidney stones. That's right. Uh, Doing the deed three to four times a week can help you pass kidney stones. Doctors suggest that the muscle contraction and relaxation involved could be helping the process. Those who engaged in sexual activity also did not need pain relief as frequently. Uh, And they say, if you don't have a partner, don't let that stop you. If you know what I mean. (laughs) This is important scientific research here, people. Now, it has long been established that people can also reduce their risk of developing kidney stones by drinking plenty of water, but that sounds a lot less fun. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) I have to pass along this important news. (laughs) All right. Speaking of your health, this I thought was uh, kind of interesting. On a uh, serious uh, note... While we all know we should try and fit in some exercise every day, a new study out of Finland shows that getting in your 30 minutes of movement every day, that's what they recommend, 30 minutes of exercise a day. But doing that and nothing else is not enough. The study, published in the journal Medicine and Science in Sports Medicine, finds that while we are all familiar with the health risks of being a couch potato, there are also risks that come with being a so-called active couch potato. Those are the people who get their half hour of activity and then come down and plop down in the cou- on the couch in front of the TV and do nothing else. And um, tracking the activity and, and the health of some 3,700 people, so this is not a small sample, 3,700 people uh, were followed on this. Researchers discovered that spending the rest of the day on the couch, even after you, after you have worked out, can essentially erase all of the health gains that you have made. Scientists discovered the same negative health markers in active couch potatoes as they found in full-on sedentary people. Higher blood sugar, body fat, and cholesterol levels. Movers, on the other hand, were healthier overall. So a half-hour workout and then stay active is the... Uh, message. Don't just go home and plop down in front of the TV and think, well, I've done my 30 minutes. I'm okay. No, you're not. It's interesting. Just light activities throughout the day are the key. And finally, among the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, check this out. 
in the quest for improving our overall perception of our ourselves, it seems that some people are undergoing a radical surgery that can make them taller. You know, we hear about plastic surgery, people getting nose jobs and, and uh, all sorts of uh, cosmetic surgery to look good for their selfies on social media. Uh, if you've ever wanted to be taller, apparently there's a way to do that now. It requires both of your legs to be broken and then the legs are lengthened. They break them and insert adjustable metal nails to grow your legs and thus make you taller. Dr. Kevin Debepartioned, one of the few, fortunately few, North American doctors who perform this procedure, says demand has gone up since the pandemic. Uh, This is a procedure that costs anywhere from $70,000 to $150,000, and demand is on the rise for this. A uh, recent, and this is a story that I saw in GQ. So, I mean, this has kind of gone almost legitimate here. A recent report claims that hundreds of American men are opting for the procedure each year. Why in the world would you do that? Just sounds incredibly extreme. But there you go. For better or worse, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny skies today, high in the low 80s, just a few clouds tonight, a low around 60. A Hancock County grand jury has indicted a former scouting troop instructor on sex charges involving minors. Court records show the 26-year-old from Columbus was indicted on one count of unlawful sexual conduct with a minor and three counts of sexual battery. The indictment alleges that the offenses occurred in Eagle Township in Hancock County in the summer of 2017. The man was about to go on trial when another victim came forward and the prosecutor's office re-indicted him to include the new charges. Get more on the website. Ohio's top judge is talking about her plans when she steps down from the bench. State Supreme Court Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor has been the swing vote to consistently rule that proposed maps of state legislative districts made by majority Republicans are unconstitutionally gerrymandered to favor that party. A Republican herself, O'Connor said in a speech in Columbus that she hopes to be involved in an effort to create an independent Citizens Commission to draw district maps instead of elected leaders. She leaves office at the end of the year because of state age limits. I'm Jack Crumley. The village of Mount Cory is still going strong 150 years after being founded and will be celebrating its sesquicentennial on Saturday. Mike Noggle, pastor of Mount Cory United Methodist Church, is inviting everybody out. Mount Cory has uh, rarely seen big events like this, so this would be a fun time to celebrate the community. He says the celebration will begin with a parade through town, which will end at Village Park, where numerous activities will be held. Get more on Mount Cory's sesquicentennial celebration on the website. The Hancock County Walk to End Alzheimer's will be held on Saturday. Activities begin at 9 a.m. at 50 North and Finley, and the walk will get underway at 10. This year, the Walk to End Alzheimer's will have a lot of new activities. We'll have a dementia experience area. Get your purple on. Uh, We'll have opportunities to have drawings to win baskets. Walk manager Wenda Quanrude says the Hancock County Walk is one of more than 600 national walks that raise money annually for Alzheimer's and other dementia research. Get more details on the walk on our website. 
I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, now to our cover story this morning. By now you know that last week, Intel broke ground on its multi-billion dollar in, uh, development in suburban Columbus. The investment in New Albany is expected to create thousands, eventually perhaps tens of thousands of jobs, and be a springboard to propel Ohio into the 21st century economy, part of the transformation from the Rust Belt to the Silicon Heartland, as it's been described. Well, there is more to the story that you may not have heard. Also last week, in conjunction with that groundbreaking, the National Science Foundation announced a new partnership with Intel to educate and train the semiconductor manufacturing workforce and advance opportunities for equitable science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education. Joining us this morning is the NSF's Assistant Director for Technology, Innovation, and Partnerships, uh, Dr. Erwin Gianchandani. Thank you, first of all, for uh, joining us. We appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks very much for having me, Chris. Great to be with you today. In total, this will be uh, a $100 million investment between the National Science Foundation and Intel. What does this partnership mean in terms of the real-world education and training opportunities for the demand created by Intel's Ohio project? Well, so Chris, first of all, let me just say, I think that at the end of the day, what this means is in one simple word, it's people, right? The goal of this collaboration between Intel and the National Science Foundation is ultimately to be able to train the next generation workforce and even train some of today's talent that maybe are in different sectors and different settings who may be interested and intrigued. Uh, their interest is piqued by virtue of the announcement last week, um, and they want to become in their own right uh, part of the semiconductor workforce of the future. And so uh, back in January, we uh, announced a collaboration between Intel and NSF. And this past Friday, as part of the groundbreaking, we were delighted to be able to make that real in the first way, if you will, uh, by issuing a funding opportunity to the community. Um, so folks in Ohio could participate, but folks all across the country, because it's the National Science Foundation, folks all across the country can potentially engage as part of this funding opportunity. And our goal here really is to be able to provide students at community colleges, students at four-year institutions as well, to really be able to provide them with uh, uh, new curricular opportunities, new instructional materials, new semiconductor manufacturing education programs so that they can gain the knowledge, the skills, the abilities that Intel but others in this industry as well mm -hmm. uh, require so that they can become a part of that skilled technical workforce of the future. So these are new education and training opportunities that to this point don't uh, exist at all, or are they uh, out there, but just very limited in their availability? So it's a little bit of both, uh, but I think that our deep interest here is to be able to take, let's say, a curricular offering at a community college in your backyard uh, that maybe is focused on uh, uh, a technical area uh, and really modernize that, if you will, uh, and really focus that specifically around semiconductor design and manufacturing. Uh, and so how can we introduce into the curriculum some of the core competencies that you need, understanding hardware, understanding uh, chip design, understanding how you start to put that into a manufacturing floor, into a manufacturing setting. So it's really about trying to be able to train, you know, to be able to do that, you need scientists, you need engineers, you need mathematicians, you 
need technicians. You need that full complement. How do we take some of the offerings that a community college may have today and really tailor that specifically for the semiconductor industry and the semiconductor industry of the future? Well, it, it certainly makes sense that there would uh, be a very limited availability of the types of training programs and education programs you decide uh, you describe because, uh, to simply put, those opportunities, job opportunities, career opportunities weren't really available up until now. This uh, is... Again, one of the interesting things about Intel's investment is it's creating these jobs that just weren't here before. So uh, no, no reason to have a, uh, a training program for a job that hasn't existed prior. That's exactly right. And I think that uh, to some extent, this is also an opportunity. You know, one of the things that we are really passionate about at the National Science Foundation is how do we uh, attract or peak the interest of talent in all different corners of the country, in all different parts of the country, and really position that talent for jobs that are that that are in in the backyard of that talent or for jobs that are elsewhere. And so, you know, Ohio, I think, uh, and and New Albany, Ohio, it stands at the cusp of a revolution by virtue of the semiconductor uh, facilities that Intel is about to stand up. The same thing is true, and I know I know the audience here is Ohio, but the same thing is true in other parts of the country. Arizona is right. standing up a couple of chip-making facilities as well. So let's not only train the talent in your backyard, Chris, in Ohio, but let's train the talent in Virginia or in Oklahoma or in Wyoming, and let's see if we can position that talent to then seize upon the job opportunities in their backyards, but again, also in 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 places where some of these chip making fab facilities are starting to come up. To that point, uh, it's uh, been pointed out that the, one of the challenges we face, again, not just in Ohio but in the United States, is that we have a national skills shortage in technology that will be critical. Again, not just for these types of in, investments, developments like what we're talking about here, uh, such as uh, such as Intel, but really for the entirety of the twenty first century tech-based economy. So, but as it relates specifically to Intel in Ohio, uh, given that reality, uh, it's not a stretch then to wonder, will they be able to fill all of these positions that Intel will purportedly be creating? I mean, how soon can these programs ramp up given that we've already broken ground on Intel? Do the timelines mesh? Right. So I think one of the beauties here, Chris, of this collaboration with Intel is, and this is true for many of our public and private partnerships that we at NSF try to stand up. We want to bring together organizations that have some relevant expertise and some relevant experiences that can be brought to the table. And so when Intel and NSF entered into this agreement, part of the reason why is because we actually have a couple of programs today at NSF already that is that are focused on training the skilled technical workforce of the future. So we have a program called Advanced Technological Education, ATE, um, and we also have another program, Scholarships for science, technology, engineering, mathematics, STEM, right? And so the ATE effort really more focused on some of the programmatic uh, development that needs to happen at colleges and institutions around the country around curricular innovation and, and program uh, uh, enrichment. And then some of the STEM uh, scholarships really focusing on uh, those uh, from um, uh, underrepresented or underserved backgrounds in particular um, who can be brought to bear in the science, technology, technology, engineering, mathematics, computer science ecosystem. And so the beauty of this is when we put out that funding opportunity on, on 
Friday, Thursday or Friday of last week, we did so in a way where we're encouraging colleges and universities that want to engage all across the country to leverage some of these existing programs that have borne fruit and borne success in other areas already. We're just simply saying, let's now focus in specifically on semiconductor design and manufacturing, because that's what's of interest under this opportunity to both NSF and Intel. And so I think that at the end of the day, um, we we need to we need to do this uh, aggressively, right? This is this is not going to happen overnight, but we can do this aggressively, and I think we can do this at a pace that allows us to be able to address the workforce needs that Intel um, and others uh, will have in this in this arena. And if I may, just one other comment that I'll make, I think it's really important for us to think about the workforce broadly. Yeah. So when you talk about who needs to go into, uh, you know, who staffs up uh, a manufacturing floor or a manufacturing facility like the one that Intel is about to build, you need PhD trained researchers. You need folks with master's degrees, with advanced degrees that can be on that manufacturing floor. Mm -hmm. You need folks who have bachelor's degrees. So this is not just about one slice of the pie. It's about the totality. And I love to use the expression it's incumbent upon us to meet people where they are. We need to move away from a paradigm where we talk about uh, we're going to train PhDs and then we're also going to train folks at other levels as well. No, we meet people where they are because at any level with any of these uh, degrees, you can potentially become an impactful part of the STEM workforce and the semiconductor workforce in this case. And uh, along those same lines, you know, thinking on a broader scale, for years we've heard about the importance of STEM education for the quote-unquote jobs of the future. And obviously this is a perfect example of those very jobs that have been talked about for years. These are the jobs of the future, and this is why so much emphasis is being placed on that. That's absolutely right. I mean, this is uh, the pride and joy of NSF. We've always focused on the future. We've always focused on trying to accelerate discovery and tackle the grand challenges that the nation faces. Um, and we know we need a talented workforce across um, the spectrum of jobs, as I was just describing, to be able to do this. And so um, this means technicians, researchers, teachers, and engineers, uh, scientists, technologists, uh, mathematicians, computer scientists. It's incumbent upon us uh, to try to fill all all of those positions. And I think a program like this brings the expertise of the community, uh, brings the expertise of community colleges and four-year schools, the resources of industry, and the resources of the federal government together to really marshal what we need to be able to address that gap that you were just describing. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information uh, about this and other programs, the National Science Foundation. Again, uh, the NSF St Assistant Director for Technology, Innovation and Partnerships, Dr. Erwin Gianchandani, uh, with us this morning. Thank you very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Well, for all intents and purposes, of course, fall begins the day after Labor Day on the calendar. The first day of autumn is Thursday the 22nd, but either way, the fall allergy season is upon us. And allergist and Zyrtec spokesperson Dr. Nita Ogden joins us this morning with some tips and tricks and the latest must-haves to take charge of your allergy symptoms and find relief fast. So, Dr. Ogden, fall allergies, what causes them, first of all? What are the common, the most common triggers? 
So fall allergies are due to ragweed and weed pollen from late summer into early fall. And then later in fall, we see mold allergy with the falling leaves and branches. And it's really interesting because, you know, we're actually experiencing longer and more intense seasons because of the warmer temperatures from summer extending into the fall now. So there are a lot of tips. Uh, about how to battle the fall allergy season. Uh, One of the most important I recommend is to check your local pollen counts. And you can do this very easily with just an app. I recommend the Zyrtec Allergy Cast app. Uh, You can download it on your phone's app store. And it allows you to track local pollen counts wherever you are. You could be traveling or even at home. And this is going to allow you to manage your allergies, understand your symptoms, prepare for the day, uh, and really just get a better understanding of what's driving your allergies. Yeah. On the days when the counts are very high, um, I recommend that you don't be outside for long periods of time because that can make everything worse. Yeah. Uh, the reason I ask about the the triggers, and this may sound kind of dumb, uh, but I, I personally am fortunate not to have allergy issues. So uh, th- this is different from spring allergy season because some people are affected by one or the other, and some people are affected by both for different reasons. Yeah, that's exactly right, which is why I think it's really important to sort of learn what you're allergic to and then use something like the app because now you're using tools to help figure out what's driving your allergy. So not everybody with spring allergies is going to have fall, although because we are seeing more intense seasons, like I said, and sort of spring Hmm. goes seamlessly into the next season to the next, I, I do notice a lot of people have both. And and by the way, that's a, another uh, point worth making. Like I said, I have never had an issue with allergies, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I never will. People can develop these over time, right? Oh, yeah, 100% now more than ever. Um, new onset allergies, especially in adulthood, is very common. So don't think that you don't have allergies just because you never had them before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is why I actually really recommend, especially to people who have an inkling that they might have allergies, that they have allergy medication at hand. You don't want to wait for these things to sort of spiral out of control. Um, I recommend the over-the-counter brand Zyrtec that I was talking about before that, uh, you know, you can basically find over-the-counter. Uh, they have a new dive-free chewable tablet. Uh, you can take it on the go. It doesn't require water. It's as effective as the liquid and tablet forms, and it's powerful. It lasts for 24 hours. It can be used by adults and children over the age of two to treat those symptoms, the itchy, watery eyes, the scratchy throat, sneezing, and nasal congestion. Um, and you can find it online or in-store at uh, mass retailers, Amazon, or your local grocery store. And, you know, I have a few more great tips, honestly. I, if I was going to, yeah, I was yeah. going to, I was going to say, uh, that was, that was going to be my next question. What can we do to get some relief when those allergies hit besides the medication, which obviously that is important. What are some of those other ways we can keep from being affected by fall allergies? Yeah. So when you, um, basically come home from being outdoors on these high pollen count days, especially leave your shoes at the door, take off your socks. You don't want to track that pollen onto your carpet and into your home. Also change out of your clothes, get those in the washer and dryer. At the end of the day, you want to wash away the pollen, take a shower, wash your hair, gently rinse out your eyes and your eyelids, you know, with like a gentle wipe, Um, rinse out your nose with a saline spray. And then Think about investing in a HEPA certified air purifier. This is going to help filter out those allergens that may have drifted into your home 
Um, from the outdoors, I especially recommend this in the bedroom because we spend so much time there. Um, and the biggest takeaway is to prepare early because before you know it, the season's hit. And, you know, things can start really fast. Yeah. Uh, there's also, I know, that fine line between self-treating and seeing an allergist such as yourself. Again, all of the tips are great. The medication is great. It's available over the counter. But when is it time to go to the doctor? You know, I say do not wait too long because things can get worse quickly, especially if you have day after day of high pollen counts. Um, and it, it just means that, you know, going to see an allergist means getting a better handle on your allergies, identifying what you're allergic to. So now you can use something like the Zyrtec Allergy Cast app quite effectively. Oh, I'm allergic to ragweed and weed. I'm going to look for the, is it moderate today? Is it high? So that is how the sequence of events works. So don't wait too long. Don't, you know, necessarily self-medicate. If you're not feeling better, get an appointment with analysis. Again, uh, allergist and Zyrtec spokesperson Dr. Nita Ogden with us this morning talking fall allergy season. Where do we get more information? For more information, go to Zyrtec.com. And Dr. Ogden, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. I'm John Marshall with this high school football preview. By the end of the day, area teams will reach the halfway point of the season. Week 5 includes what stats say should be a dandy when Macomb visits Pandora Gilboa. This one involves the top two offenses in the Blanchard Valley Conference and two of the top three in D. PG coach Matt Hershey expects the little things to make the difference. This is my six years head coach, and we've had some good games. You know, they've come out on top a handful of times. We've come out on top a handful of times. It's going to come down to who can make the little play that gets the first down instead of getting stopped for young third short. You can hear that game tonight on 100.5 WKXA and WKXA.com. Other BBC games include Corey Rawson at Liberty Benton, Arlington travels to Van Lu, Riverdale is at Van Buren in what could also be a good battle, and Arcadia meets independent North Baltimore. The 1-3 and three Findlay Trojans host 2-2 two and two Widmer in a matchup between two teams looking to make a statement on what the rest of the season will look like. Findlay coach Stefan Adams knows there will be some wrinkles thrown at his team, but he's confident. They try to give you some different looks and exotic looks that kind of confuse some high school kids. We're ready for that. We faced it and we played some for Catholic and we're excited about the matchup. That game will air on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. In the Western Buckeye League, Ottawa Glandorf visits Bath as each team looks for its first win of the season. That game will air on our sister station, 106.3 The Fox. Elsewhere in the WBL, St. Mary's and Van Wert hook up in a battle of 3-1 and one teams. Shawnee is at Wapak, and 2-2 two and two Salina travels to Elida to face the undefeated Bulldogs. Northern 10 games of note include Bucyrus at Upper Sandusky, Mohawk at Winford, and Buckeye Central is in Cary to face the Blue Devils. The Northwest Conference schedule includes Columbus Grove at Allen East in a matchup of 3-1 teams, 2-2 two two Lipsick hosts 1-3 Spencerville, Convoy Crestview visits Delphus Jefferson, and 1-3 Ada travels to Bluffton to face the 2-2 two two Pirates. The River Division of the Sandusky Bay Conference sees St. Joe at Calvert, 3-1 Hopewell-Loudon at 4-0 Margareta, Gibsonburg goes to Northwood, and Lakota hosts Willard. In the Northern Buckeye Conference, it's Genoa at Eastwood, 0-4 Fostoria to face 1-3 Rossford, and in what could decide the league, it's Otsego going to Elmwood. Again, it's Bath and Ottawa-Glandorf on 106.3 The Fox, Finley hosting Whitmer on WFIN, and Macomb at Pandora-Gilboa on WKXA. I'm John Marshall, WFIN Sports.
We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. It is a blow to beer lovers. The Philadelphia Brewing Company is accusing the city of Philadelphia of weed whacking their crop of hops. Apparently, the city came in and just wiped it entirely out. The hops uh, are used to make seasonal IPAs. There's a big loss at the start of the fall season. In an Instagram post, the brewery claims to have lost 60 pounds of hops and tens of thousands of dollars in projected revenue due to the mishap. Now, apparently, the garden had signs uh, posted explaining that the hops were being grown for the, for the purpose of brewing beer, and yet the city had issued the brewery a ticket for overgrown vegetation anyway, violating the uh, public ordinance on overgrown vegetation. Even though the uh, plot of land that they were growing the hops on was clearly labeled, these are hops being grown for brewing, but they were issued a, a ticket So they called the city to explain. The city sent an inspector out, um, dispatched the inspector, who subsequently verified that the hops were indeed hops and rescinded the violation. But nonetheless, a few days later, (laughs) the brewery employees showed up and the city had come through and weed whacked the entire crop of hops. And not only did they... Cut it all down. They hauled it away. A city spokesperson said miscommunication and staff error were to blame for the removal of the hops. (laughs) Well, okay, but I'm not sure that that makes them feel any better about it. Oops. Somebody who doesn't like beer, apparently. Elsewhere in the broken news... A man in the UK was rushed to the emergency room last Monday after being struck by lightning while playing video games in his living room. Aiden Rowan was just minding his own business, happily playing his video games on his PlayStation about 1030 in the evening when he said he heard a loud crack followed by a heavy jolting sensation. (laughs) Yeah, that'd do it. Um, that's probably the understatement of the, of the year. I felt a heavy jolting sensation. Uh, the, uh, the gamer, uh, Aiden Rowan, age 33, uh, posted on Instagram. There was a loud bang and five hours at the hospital confirmed that I was struck by lightning through the open window. Uh, Never going to play video games during a thunderstorm again. He said, I'm fine, just very sore, a heck of a headache, and burn stripes down my arm. Ironically, and this is the humorous twist here. Ironically, when he was struck, he was playing a game called Stray. And the object of the game is that you control a stray cat who is lost in a thunderstorm. So just adding some realism to the game, I guess. <laughs> uh, let's see. This is, it says Roseville, but I don't know the state. Roseville somewhere. Roseville police 
are seeking the public's help in identifying a man who walked out of the local Costco store with over $1,100 worth of crab legs. (laughs) You would think he would have been noticed. The suspect reportedly walked into the store, did not show his membership card. He then went straight to the seafood department where he stacked up boxes of food and simply walked out. Photo of the suspect was caught on the store's security system and has been published by police. Anyone who recognizes the man is asked to call Roseville Police. I, what I want to know when I read this story is what was Costco more upset about? That he stole $1,100 worth of crab legs or that he walked into the store and didn't show his membership card? Which, (laughs) which is the more serious violation there uh, in Costco's mind? I don't know. A sports story making the broken news doesn't happen very often, but here uh, apparently the NFL team in Washington, D.C. is still trying to figure out its new identity. Over the weekend, the Commanders were selling promotional mugs designed with their new logo uh, superimposed on a silhouette of the Washington skyline outside FedEx Field Stadium. Problem is, the mugs did not have the silhouette of the Washington, D.C. skyline, but the skyline of the state of Washington. (laughs) Oops! Somebody messed up. Apparently, this mistake has been made before with uh, promotional license plates a few years ago. (laughs) They sold. But... You would think, I mean, I understand, you know, they don't print their own stuff. They, you know, farm that out and they contract that out. And the printer is the one that actually made the mistake. But you would think someone to the team would have noticed and intercepted those before they went up for sale at the team store. Apparently not. How about this? In Miami. Um, <laughs> you think about this person with a wardrobe full of designer labels, you know, $35,000 wardrobe, a yacht docked there in Miami. No, it is not the life of a rich middle-aged high flyer. It actually belongs to a newborn baby boy. Yeah, $35,000 wardrobe and his very own yacht, a newborn. Barry Druitt Barlow, age 52, and Scott Hutchinson, age 27, welcomed their new son, Romeo, uh, earlier this month via surrogate. A barrage of gifts with eye-popping costs have followed ever since. We just spent $2.8 million on a yacht for Romeo and named it after him, Mr. Uh, Druitt Barlow told local news reporters. It is currently docked in Miami where Saffron, their eldest daughter, Saffron... (laughs) is boarding the yacht with her new boyfriend and heading over to Cuba and the surrounding islands for a couple of weeks, just borrowing her baby brother's yacht. (laughs) If your kids' names are Romeo and Saffron, you probably have too much money. I'm just saying. Anyway, Saffron is borrowing her baby brother's yacht for a couple of weeks. Uh, They also set up a $2 million trust fund for the infant, and this is what really jumped out at me about this story. Uh, the a couple says, we want to give Romeo the same start in life as other kids. I'm 
many other kids do you know get that kind of start in life? <laughs> I just want to get the same start in life as other kids. Sure. Sure. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, sometimes you don't have to go very far. A tattoo artist in Bowling Green is explaining what has been called the world's worst tattoo. Dennis Faust posted to Facebook last Friday saying the tattoo, the portrait tattoo that he gave a client in 2007 was the first he had ever done. The man who got the tattoo of his late wife recently had it fixed by another tattoo artist in Akron. In a Yahoo News article, Mr. Faust says he did not give up after the bad tattoo and instead surrounded himself with talented artists and improved his skills. So good for him, but a Bowling Green tattoo artist now holds the uh, personal distinction of having created the world's worst portrait tattoo. So you got to be famous for something, I guess. There you go. Uh, that is today's Broken News Report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95. 5FM, online at WFIN.com, and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives, and what is the secret to happiness? People have been trying to figure this out for generations, and now it appears that we have the answer. The secret is in expressing gratitude. Survey of 2,000 Americans finds that 65% of respondents who say they are very happy on a daily basis are also more likely to always give thanks. A third of respondents say they regularly make sure to express gratitude in their everyday lives. And of those, 62% note that they feel very satisfied with their lives. Study also finds that on average, respondents believe that they express gratitude to others six times a month. That's all it takes, just six times a month. They say they also receive the same amount of appreciation back. Interestingly, they break it down by region of the country. Those in the southwestern United States are most likely to express gratitude than anywhere else in the country at 75%. 74% of those in the Northeast and 73% of those in the Midwest. So we're not doing too shabby here. Uh, meanwhile, people in the Southeast at 68% and the West Coast at 63% offer thanks the least. What's that, uh, what's that saying from Scripture? I'm paraphrasing, give thanks with a grateful heart. Uh, as usual, very wise words in Scripture. And now my wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio. Once again, it is time for another collection of yummy and easy-to-make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. 
Good morning. You were sneezing a little bit before. We were talking about fall allergies. You got fall allergies? Yeah, yeah. I always have fall al- you go. allergies. We were just talking about that yep. a little bit I earlier. I take my Flonase. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a staple in my world. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Yep. You know, uh, as we mentioned, uh, autumn officially arrives. The new season officially arrives uh, on Thursday of oh, next really? week. And uh, these, I think, are perfect uh, autumn recipes. Yeah, they are. Uh, this is... Uh, the 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 main main one here in this collection this week is definitely one of those uh, stick to your ribs yeah. kind of uh, kind of recipes. It's really good, and it is really I, good. I'm really I'm not a big potato soup fan. Um, Chris, I love Chris potato loves soup. potato soup. I love yes. potato soup, and I don't. But I think I finally found something that I like also because I I think I pretty much finished. Yeah, batch. you actually had it for you lunch. actually had more of this <laughs> yeah. than I did. Yeah, uh, it is a cheesy sausage potato soup. Yes, so one tablespoon of olive oil, one fourteen ounce uh, package of smoked sausage chopped into quarter inch pieces, a half a cup of finely diced onion, two tablespoons of minced garlic, one teaspoon of dried celery, four cups of chicken broth. Uh, two large uh, russet uh, potatoes peeled. I ended up using red potatoes, and I didn't peel them. I love red potatoes, so I used the okay. red potatoes. All right, yeah, it was um, very good. Could do either, yep. I guess. Yep. Yep. Five tablespoons of butter. Five tablespoons of all-purpose flour. Two cups of milk. Um, just whatever percentage. Uh, six ounce of shredded uh, cheddar cheese. Uh, salt and pepper to taste, and then uh, sour cream and shredded cheese are optional for toppings now, afterwards. Now, I will mention this. Uh, again, it's right there in the name, cheesy sausage potato soup. Right. It was very cheesy. Yeah. And I and added, I'm, and I, added, added a, I added a different type of cheese also. So you even made it cheesier. Yeah, I, I would probably back off on the cheese oh, just a tad. Yeah, okay. Um, but that's one of those things that, again, you yeah. can adjust oh, depending yeah. on how cheesy yeah. you want your yeah. cheesy potato I did, soup. Um, so. we went to, I went to Amish country with my best friend, and I got some butter cheese, and I added some butter uh-huh. cheese to okay. it. So All right. I thought it made it creamy. But so in a large pot, uh, heat olive oil over medium heat, add your onions to the pot, cook over medium heat for, um, I would say about five minutes or so. They're going to kind of brown up and turn translucent. Um, Add your garlic and your sausage. Cook for about five minutes to brown everything up. Mm Mm-hmm. Then add your chicken broth, your dried celery, and your potatoes. Uh, Bring to a simmer and cook for about 10 to 15 minutes until your potatoes um, uh, start getting kind of... um, Soft. Soft. And the fork will go right through them. Right. So um, then in a medium saucepan, melt your butter, add your flour over medium heat, whisk continuously. Um, It's going to kind of bubble up and you want it to brown a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that takes about a minute or so. Then slowly pour in your milk um, and whisk that constantly so you can prevent lumps. Um, And then just keep whisking that for about five minutes or so until it bubbles up. Uh, Then remove from the pan and add your cheese um, a handful at a time. Um, Keep mixing that up until all your cheese melts. Then... um, Add your cheese to your potatoes and uh, your potato sausage broth mixture. Add Mm -hmm. all that together. Mix it up. Um, And I let it cook for, I would say, about another 10, 15 minutes or so 
Um, All right. Just depending on what else you're making, it'll it'll be fine. Just okay. leave it on leave, low. Leave that on low while leave you're it doing on low because, whatever else. Yeah, okay. yeah. You don't want the bottom of your pan to get too hot, especially with cheese. Right. Um. So just leave it on low and let it cook until you're ready to go. Very easy. Serve and enjoy. There you go. Uh, to go along with that, uh, if you haven't had enough cheese, uh, <laughs> we have a cheesy garlic bread roll recipe. Yes. So this is a one eight ounce um, uh, thing of your crescent dough sheet, your dough sheet, not yeah. your not your crescent rolls. You want the dough sheet. Okay. Um, and then kind of flatten that out. Uh, two sticks of butter softened, three tablespoons of minced garlic, two teaspoons of dried parsley, two cups of mozzarella cheese, and one and a half cups of cheddar cheese. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees, spray a 9 by 13 inch baking dish with cooking spray, set that aside, roll out your dough into a rectangle, then in a bowl combine your butter, your garlic, and your parsley. Uh, use a pastry bu- brush to spread that evenly over your dough. Uh, sprinkle then your mozzarella cheese and your cheddar cheese over the dough. And then um, you're going to roll it up like a jelly roll. Mm-hmm. So um, then slice into 12 equal slices. Place the rolls on your prepared pan. Bake for about 30 minutes or, or until the rolls are like a golden brown and the cheese is nice and melty. Mm-hmm. And really yummy. And serve them warm yes. with your soup. Serving them warm with the soup. And like we said, it's a great fall stick yes. to your ribs kind of uh, kind of meal there. Yep. And then for dessert, we have a butterscotch blondies. Which are very, very good. Yes. So one and a quarter cup of butter, two and a quarter cup all-purpose flour, one and a half teaspoons of baking powder, one teaspoon of salt, one and a half cups of sugar, one cup of packed uh, light brown sugar, three eggs, uh, three large eggs, two teaspoons of vanilla extract, and one and a quarter cups of butterscotch chips. Mm-hmm. So preheat your oven to 300 degree, 350 degrees. Grease a 9 by 13 inch baking dish uh, in a, spa- a saucepan over medium heat. Uh, melt your butter and let it, after it melts, let it um, sit there for a little bit and kind of get a golden brown. That kind of mm. helps the okay. butterscotch flavor. Ah, okay. So... Um, then remove from heat and let it cool. Then in a bowl, mix together your flour, your baking powder, and your salt. Um, and then in a bowl, electric mixer bowl, combine your brown sugar, um, your regular sugar, your eggs, your vanilla, and then beat all that on medium heat until it's well combined. Then add your flour mixture a uh, little at a time until it's all combined because you don't want to flour Crazy flour mess, you know, <laughs> throw it all in there at once and poof. Okay. It's not it's not pretty. Yes. I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> so get a little a little too hurry. Then fold in your butterscotch, pour the mixture into your prepared baking pan, spread evenly, bake until a toothpick um, insert in the center comes out clean, about mm-hmm. 35 to 40 minutes. Uh, don't overbake it because uh, it is a brownie. Yeah, that's um, the that's and, the key there. Yeah, you don't and it will. It. I mean, it may seem like it's not completely done, but once it cools, yeah. it'll be nice and ooey gooey, yummy. It's really <laughs> good. And then let it cool, and then cut and serve. Okay, so there you go. Uh, recipes for the cheesy sausage potato soup, the cheesy garlic bread rolls, and the butterscotch blondies. Those are all posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook. 
We'll also uh, link them up on the uh, WFIN Facebook page. And, of course, you can go to goodmornings.net and find them there. My wife, Kyra, with her recipes from Kyra's Kitchen this morning. Kai, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday on the program, kickoff Rail Safety Week. Virtually all railroad injuries and fatalities are entirely preventable. Plus, the other side of the 21st century economy is renewable energy. Can Ohio become a key player in that industry as well? So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here next week.